This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. So it's uh it's been quite a week actually for us uh this week. Uh there's been some messy things going on in <laughs> going on in our lives, right, Billy? <laughs> so there's Yeah, some, like there's some for instance Well wait, 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 before okay, so we I've get got, in I've got two messy oh. things. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I'm interrupting you because okay. before we get into all that, I think one of the messiest things, once you hit a certain age, you need, you know, depends. I mean, you need adult diapers. And now, Chris, you're you're turning 40. Uh, and Chris didn't know I was going to be talking about I this. I did you're not turning, know this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of messy things, oh. I imagine you're preparing to um, really move into the next phase of elder care in your life. Is this my wife's doing? Start- did my wife... <laughs> Ping you. <laughs> your wife and your sister okay, uh, have reached oh, out God. to me. <laughs> although although I already knew anyway, but I knew your birthday was coming. I, I yeah. didn't realize it was the big 4-0 post-mortem birthday celebration. I know. Well, my wife said to me this morning, actually, as we were getting the kids ready for school, she says, so does Billy know it's your bir- your 40th birthday this weekend? And I said, well, he knows my birthday is end of August. I said, I don't know how many details he knows, like the specifics and stuff. She said, oh. What are you guys doing okay. for, for this? Are you, I, no I mean, idea. are you still able to blow out birthday candles at 40? <laughs> <laughs> you almost died on almost the air. Died. <laughs> that would have been tragic. So, so uh, my evil sister and my, um, my evil wife both reached out to you, huh? Yes, see, my wife told me yesterday she said, you know, uh, Billy Hallowell did a friend request with me on Facebook. I, I said, did. I said, oh, dear. And she said, I'm not sure that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing for your birthday? I, Tell me, are you I, doing anything? I really don't have any idea. I've got football practice all week, and we've got practice goes till, you know, at 630 or so now that school starts. And so I don't know. 40's I don't young. 40 is young. I'm, is. Only, I'm only joking, but happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. Something like that. Anyway. Does it feel weird leaving uh, your 30s? No, because I really don't give a rat's rear end about birthdays. I've never been a birthday person. I simply do not care about birthdays. Yeah, there are moments like these that I wonder if there's a soul inside <laughs> of you. <laughs> I hate birthdays. I Listen, I celebrate birthdays uh, for one main reason. My wife loves to celebrate birthdays. I celebrate birthdays because of sheet cake. I love sheet cake. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> uh, no, my wife, my wife loves birthdays. She loves to make big deals out of birthdays. And she knows I hate them. So the nice thing is we find this happy medium that I don't have to do huge things for her birthdays and she won't do, you know, big things for my birthdays. And we'll just kind of, but we try to do, you know, fun stuff for the kiddos and the kid, you know, kids like birthdays and I like having fun with the kids and helping them have fun on their special day. But I really don't care about birthdays. I really don't. Like I said, where's your soul? All right. So <laughs> thanks a lot for bringing that up. You jerk. <laughs> But you were talking about messy things. Okay, so messy things. Or, and then okay. into your birthday. Okay. So you can you get to pick where we start on. There's two messy things we need to we 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 can talk about this as we get started here. Well, one one has to do with a certain uh, two three year old, and the other has to do with a a uh, 
a post that we had this week uh, about the Tulian interview. So you can you can pick. Let's talk about the potty training because okay. honestly, Let's I mean, it. anybody out there who wants to send tips along, basically, <laughs> Ava, my my three year old who just turned three, she's like ninety percent potty trained. Like almost when it comes to potty, totally trained. Okay, when it comes to poopy, not uh, so much. Not and. Good. The bottom line is she knows she'll say I have to go poopy and then you try to get her to go right, right. and oh, she doesn't want to sit on the toilet and then the she's joys. like no 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 I don't have to go yet. One of the joys and of she, parenthood. And then she'll run away and she'll go play and about 15 minutes later she'll turn to you and say I'm pooping and you pick her up like the other day she came downstairs she said it to me in the office she said she had to poop I picked her up and right, so ran. she wasn't she wasn't like in the process of it. She's like no, telling so I you, I need to go. Yeah, that's good. And she's staring at me like I'm crazy. So I picked her up and I'm like running up the stairs. I trip over the stairs, which probably triggered something. And poop just comes flying out <laughs> all over the floor. And this Did you land on life. her and squeeze it out? Is that what happened? No, it was weird. I think it's just the shock of like oh, okay. I'm holding her and the shock of me <clears throat> tripping. I didn't fall. I just oh, tripped gracefully. And, and it was like a bunny rabbit. Poop just dripped out. Well, bunny rabbits good the little turds. Those are, those These are easy. were not huge turds. They were not huge turds. Yeah. And but then, like you know, other times she's like, "I'm ready to push. I got to push." Oh, she's going to and go. You're getting me a little more information than I, you know. Well, you know, you wanted to know. I know. Well, it's parenting. It's parenting tips, everyone. This is this is uh, the 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 Chris and Billy parenting hour. So so we have a poop chart. We have. I mean, we're trying oh, yeah. everything so at what this have, point. What have you used? You know, you were asking me about what we did with our kids, and our kids, you know, are perfect children they they were potty trained both completely the two olders by about four months um and uh, walking and reading books actually uh, uh so it must be embarrassing for them that their 40 year old father is not yet potty trained <laughs> kind of <laughs> so what have been your trick like we used our thing was like m&ms what izzy it was m&ms with colty colty doesn't like chocolate a little weird kid doesn't like chocolate or dessert for that matter he picks vegetables over candy I have not trained this kid properly. <clears throat> so, but we would like, you get one M&M or one Skittle for number one and two M&Ms or two Skittles for number two. And it worked right. really well for them. Now, from my understanding, your daughter has uh, figured out that this is a gravy train. And yes. uh, has you guys have had to up the ante a little bit. What's going on here? So we were doing mini M&Ms and okay. we ended up in desperation moving to mini Oreos. And... The mini Oreo, we, if you give her a mini Oreo, it does tend to work for pee-pee. But when it comes to poopy, she like wants a cupcake. I mean, there is no <laughs> look. And, and the bottom line is I, I think she totally knows what she's doing. She has no, this is not she it's just care. like, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Right. And if, right. if I have to poop in 45 pairs of, you know, uh, frozen themed underwear and ruin them, I will. <laughs> See, and I think I told you this. We gave our kids one chance. Like they both really wanted to wear big kid underwear, right? Okay, you got to keep them dry, keep them clean. If you screw that up, guess what? We're going back to the diaper for the rest of the day. Or they're back to the pull up for the rest of the day, you know. And they didn't like that, so it worked for them. And you know, we let them wear. Uh, we met with them, let them say, you know what, you you had an accident, so we're going to put on the pull up, but let's put unders on outside the pull up. And then if you can keep that dry for the rest of the day, maybe this afternoon or the rest of the morning, maybe this afternoon, we'll try again with the big kid under. So is this the same advice that your wife is going to use when dealing? No, I really you? don't understand why you have to be so mean to me. Cause you're 40. 
Uh, oh. Anyway, so potty training is quite an interesting ordeal. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel I, like we're done. It's like we're what? there. She knows how to do it. So I just she, think right now it's like out of spite. Is a rebellion thing? Yeah, maybe. Well, also I should point out that the, we were doing really well until the new baby came. Oh, like she was going right. And then well, the new baby came. So that well, part of it might be that. Well, and she sees, you know what? When baby has an accident in her diapers, she gets attention. She gets mommy, daddy time. Uh, you know, there could be something to that. She's doing weird baby noises, too, which is, like, insane. It's driving me crazy. Like, eh, eh, eh. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm hungry. I'm like, well, why are you making the noises that Lily's making them? But it, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it about attention. Yeah, kids are stupid. They're that the same noises you make. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's fine. So um, let's do this. Awkward transition. Is that the right one? Did I do the right one? I think yeah, right. well, okay. I think it is. Awkward yeah. transition. Okay, so still dealing with messes. Now, <clears throat> let me step back here. And we Last week, we had a, we had an interview with um, Pastor Tulian Chakchaminikon. And um, how do you say his name? Did you Google his um, name again? I have to be... I did. I have to be looking at it okay. to say it properly. If When we play... Or when you go back and listen to the interview that we that we um, did, you can hear me say it properly. Okay, so Tulian Tar Tar uh, when we had our interview with him, Billy posted a nice, really good story about that interview uh, on the front page of theblaze.com. and it got posted to the Facebook page. And and what is amazing is uh, when you read comment sections on websites, and there are a lot of websites now that are closing down their comment sections. You find some people who are uh, less than pleasant, let's say. And same thing, same thing on Facebook. Now, this is not true for all commenters on The Blaze or on Facebook. This is not even true for one commenter all the time on Facebook. But this this story had me looking at the comments on the excuse me on the story page and on the Facebook page, and all I could think was, we need to have a segment of the show today that just says, "Attention, idiots." Would that be fair? That's fair. Okay. So here's some of the comments that we, and, and maybe I, I just, and people are rightfully upset with Tullian looking like a hypocrite. People who are Christians going, I don't understand. Why can we do this thing? You know, why, why does it, why does this have to happen? And, and, and criticizing, and I understand. And he, and he's open to the criticism, right? That's why he's opened himself up to this, right. but there's a whole, oh, now I can't find it. There's a whole series. I had these highlighted and I don't know where they've gone. Well, you but, forget things at 40. <laughs> but there's a... So let's see. Um, uh, now, of course, now I'm not fine. Now I'm only finding good comments. Did, wait, did your AARP nice card come? You I mean, know what? I, it is not, I'm not that old. I am not that, even 40 yet as we record this. But I'm not yet 40. I, I feel like that's the year that they start giving you dental benefits and Medicaid starts... To, or Medicare, I'm sorry, starts to come through. No, I think it's a little later. I think it's a little later than that. Oh, all right. So... Okay, so um, crap! I'm just now I'm seeing these good comments, and now I'm just now I look like an even bigger idiot than well, I already am. Well, I mean, but there's a whole there was a whole. Now, did where you eat your gone? Boniva today? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where are they? Oh, 
Anyway, there's a whole bunch I love of people that we went on. How awful okay, okay, okay. Here's are, and here's, now we can't find. Okay, them. no, they are there. They are there. It's just that they have moved, and I don't know if I've changed the order that comments are in. I don't have any idea. So some guy writes on Facebook. This guy cheats on his wife and blames her for cheating. And I saw a whole bunch of those. Right, a whole bunch of people saying this guy cheats on his wife and then he blames her for cheating. He throws his wife under the bus. And how many times did we have to go back and correct people? I had to go back and correct people, or wanted to go back and correct people. Says, wait, he, you actually engaged in the exercise? Yes, of trying I know. What a horrible, it was a stupid, stupid idea because they're not interested in facts. I mean, people who say horrible things are really not interested in facts. This guy blames his wife for for cheating. He cheats on her and then blames the wife. Well, the fact is he didn't blame his wife. What he came out and said in full was, I came back from a trip, found out my, or I'd been gone or I'd been wherever. And I come back, I find out my wife has been cheating on me, right? And then I wound up cheating on her in return, Okay. But he says, that's a part of my human nature. My human nature said, and I re- cheated on her return. He said, then he follows that up with, it was the wrong thing to do. It was my mistake. I'm the one who cheated. She cheated, sure. That doesn't mean I can cheat back. And he was very clear on that. So there's multiple people talking about this and, guy cheats and he's throwing the wife on the bus. And people who obviously don't li- didn't listen to the interview. One thing... I should mention, and this is not in our latest version of the story. It didn't come up during our interview. His wife did say in in a post, in a, in a not Huffington Post, Washington Post interview after this all happened in June that her husband's statement did not reflect her views, but she didn't specify what that meant. So, you know, that opened the door up. Is she saying that it didn't happen that way? Um, as far as I can tell, I think she's deleted all of her social media. Yeah. I don't think she's active on social anymore, right. and there hasn't been a lot coming from her as far as I know since then. But yes, needless to say, based on what Tullian has said, that is what happened. So um, I think if you're going to critique somebody, fine. You're going to talk about their sin, fine. I think the problem, and and this goes with any celebrity pastor, any celebrity in general, when you are in the public square, you need to watch yourself extra. Be, Be sure you're careful because when something goes wrong, you are a representative of something much bigger and, and it does look really bad. But also on the flip side, somebody's sins, look, you know, our, my sin, your sin, it's not out there to the level that right. his is. And so when it breaks, we're all sort of looking at him like, oh, you're a horrible, terrible person. And I think that's what a lot of these commenters are doing. And they're sometimes missing the humanity a little bit in that, I think. Right. Not excusing it. Right. And and this isn't this isn't about talking about his wife. This is talking about commenters who obviously didn't listen and they say you're throwing he's throwing the wife under the bus for his mistakes. Right. And it's like right. that's not what he's saying. He's saying In fact he didn't say one negative thing no, he, about her. In fact, we when before we even interviewed with him, we said we don't want to talk about your wife. And he agreed. He did not want to talk about his wife. He didn't want right. because it wasn't about anybody else but his own mistakes. And living right. his mistakes and apologizing for his mistakes and trying to make amends. That's what it was about. And if you listen to the interview, you know that. But comment after comment after comment about throwing the wife under the bus, blaming the wife. No, he's, he comes out and he says, I made a mistake. My human nature, I responded this way. This is what happened. I felt like I was being, that I was betrayed and I found solace here and it was the wrong thing to do. It's not her fault. It's my fault. And that's what he comes out and essentially says. And then there are people. So, you know, a couple of people I responded to again. Why engage? I don't know. Maybe it helps with discussion. Maybe it gets us fans. Maybe it gets people interested in what we're the nonsense we're spouting here. But the fact is, I would respond with you obviously didn't listen to the interview and someone someone else would respond and they didn't know I had conducted the interview. 
someone else responded, I did listen to the interview. And this is what he said. Well, first of all, there's no way that you actually listened to the interview because it was about a 30 minute interview and you responded 20 minutes after the post went up. Okay. You're responding to the story that was written that had the interview embedded in it. You didn't listen to the interview. Which is always the problem. And I wrote the story, which is always the problem when you do the story because you try to get it all in there and you don't want a 50 page story, but you try to get, but even reading the story, I don't think you walk away thinking that's what happened. No. And it's, it's so, it's so, it's so aggravating. And so then you call somebody and say, I did listen to the interview. And it's like, first of all, don't say you listen to the interview and then say things that obviously proved that you didn't listen to the interview because you didn't right. listen to the whole thing. Right. And to, then and then to tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about because you don't know I conducted the interview. And then you respond with, actually, I conducted that interview. And, <laughs> and then crickets, right? It's like, come on, people. Get, get, just have a little There's bit of, have a little bit of grace. Water. Have a little bit of grace and actually be honest, okay? I understand having an opinion about this just from just knowing a little bit of the facts and having an opinion and being upset with Tulian. That's fair. Okay. I get it. I understand that he didn't throw his wife under the bus. Don't come out and say that he did and claim that you listened to the interview when you obviously didn't because then you're lying and your lying does not make you a credible witness in the discussion. Uh, greed. Okay. So, all right, let's do this. How about, um, Crud. We only have a couple minutes. We got a break and we got to do that interview. We have another interview coming up. We do have another interview. Why don't That's we let's let's right here. We're gonna come back and we're talking to talk about your favorite minister uh, after the break. Would that be all right? Yeah. Okay. So um, let's uh, let's take a break here, and we will uh, we have another interview that we're conducting, and then we will come back, and we will um, and it will be seamless. Y'all won't even know what happened. So I don't even know why I'm telling you that's what we're doing. But we'll take a break here, and we'll come back. And on the other side of the break, Billy's going to talk about his favorite minister. Uh, so we will. <laughs> Billy's like, there's no chance. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I was actually going to start doing a Reverend Wright impersonation, but I stopped myself. Yeah, well, that's not the pastor we're It's not Reverend about. Wright. It's not Reverend Wright. So, But they're friends. Oh, dear. So now you've given a hint. We will be back in just a minute. Chris, Chris, we're coming back. Put your teeth back in. We're coming back. Um, What's that, Sonny? I can't hear you, Sonny. What's that? Welcome back to the Church Boys with 40-year-old birthday boy Christopher uh, Miguel Field. So, yes. Well, yeah. I guess by the time people hear this, I will be 40. You'll be over 40, actually, which is even older. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. up. (laughs) So... We really have a very special, very special story to cover, and it involves my favorite minister, the Minister Louis Farrakhan. And isn't it, isn't it Louis Farrakhan? I think you pronounce it I Louis. Well, listen, he's actually a very talented singer and musician, well, which is something that people don't realize. Well, you know, you know, uh, Limbaugh used, has always called him Calypso Louis because he's no, that, like, that was like his he's name like back in the day. Yeah, yeah. We've done stories on it, like in some of his music and and all that that he used to produce, and he, so he's got a very Beautiful voice, allegedly. But um, the, the point is not that shouting. Farrakhan is infuriated uh, by media outlets, including The Blaze, if you watch the, his, his video. Oh, really? Um, in fact, the title of the video is Farrakhan Responds, Critics and Media, Mischief Makers. That would be um, you. And yes. so he was sort of lashing out. Now, some outlets and 
you know, I don't think we did this, but some outlets accused him of saying, basically saying that he was calling for for black Americans to kill white Americans. Um, so let me just read the quote. This is his response. He, he gave a sermon, and this this original sermon was the end of July right. that sparked all of this. Now, right. in the past, he has called... He has, he has said things that very closely sound like he's calling people to arms. There was something uh, he yes. said back earlier this year. I think it was in March. He said um, he called for black soldiers in the U.S. armed forces to come home, unite, and fight for their own lives. Right. That I mean, that's very inflammatory. <laughs> you know, you it's sort of like dancing on this line. You know, come home, don't fight the war over there, fight a war at home. I mean, that's right. what, kind of what it sounds like. But when you're calling for soldiers to come home and fight, I mean, there's right. very few ways to interpret that. But that's not what got him in, into headlines this time. Th- this time, at the end of July, he delivered this speech, and I'm actually pulling it up in front of me because I want to ha- make sure I'm accurate. Our headline was Louis Farrakhan, colon, if the federal government does not intercede, we must rise up and kill those who kill us. And so he was upset because he felt like a lot of other outlets um, were accusing him of, again, telling black people to kill white people. Here's his quote in his most recent sermon defending himself. Quote, I never said kill all white people. Those are not my words. Those are the words of the mischief makers. AKA I just Billy love Hall- that word. A.K.A. Billy Hallowell. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to quote me, then quote me. But when you add your evil mischief making to my words to make white people think that I'm calling on black people to kill white people to start a race war, then you're nothing but a lying devil. Lying devil. Um, I love lying you're devil. Devil. And then he said, they're saying these things to frighten line. white people and silly black people. Um, <laughs> but then he goes, I mean, he goes into this discussion about how the Bible and the Quran have something he called the, quote, law of retaliation in matters of the slain. Right. And he talks about a life for a life and how yeah. you can't, you know, you can't take more than one life and you can't be the aggressor. Right. So, so he's, but that's, I mean, that's the, that's, that's his, like, his little caveat. That's his little get out, right? That's his, if you quote me, quote me. And if you're going to quote me, quote me, right? Well, we did. And that's the problem. We quoted you directly and everybody had the same interpretation of what you were saying. Well, he said, now, he, he said, I, I said in Miami, if the federal government refuses to intercede on our behalf when we are slain, then we must rise up and kill those who kill us. Right. Um, and then he goes on to talk about, they want to blame Farrakhan for radicalizing the people. I say to white America, look in the mirror. Every time an act of hatred is done and there is no justice, and he goes on this whole thing. Well, let me read it because I think this is important. Yeah. Every time an act of hatred is done and there is no justice, the breasts of those of us who are grieved over the loss of our loved ones and there is no redress of that grievance, then the lack of justice begins to imbalance the mind. And the more injustice imbalances the mind, the persons who are aggrieved become silly or savage. They lose the knowledge of self. Um, you know, we have the video on the blaze. I. Look, I think yeah. that you're dancing on some very dangerous things when you're saying things like yeah. this. Yeah, and and he's not, and he has a history of calling for violence and then saying he never called for violence. He has well, a he history didn't of say, he didn't say kill all white people. That no. never came out of his mouth. But he has but... had he has had calls for very easily interpreted as calls for violence throughout his career. That's what he does. Well, and I, I mean, I think. Oh, the other thing that's interesting is they, they always show the crowd. And this is a pretty packed house where, when he delivered this, yeah. this speech defending himself. But, you know, to me, this is, it's problematic that we're calling at all 
I mean, like from his perspective, I'm assuming he's saying if they're not, if the government's not going to protect black people, then we have to protect ourselves. Right. And that that's sort of his his whole shtick here. Um, and, you know, and I always go with alleged, and I'm always very careful when I cover Farrakhan. And I'll tell you, I've watched three hour sermons of his because it's so difficult to pin down exactly what he's saying, right. and you don't want to cross a line that you end up watching the whole thing. But right. this to me. Is prob is problematic. Yes, you never said kill all white people, but you are talking about this law of retaliation that involves killing those who kill us. Right. right? And he never said kill all white people. You also never said he said kill all white people. Right. And actually, in fairness, this is the one Farrakhan report. I the original one I did not do. I did do this follow up one. Right. And you know, I was looking at that original report, and there was nothing in right. there that seemed to be inaccurate. But yeah, you know, and there wasn't anything that was inaccurate. I just think that. You know, a call to violence. That was a terminology that was used in the story. That does sound like a call to violence. Yeah. All right. There may be a caveat. It might be if, if then, but he <laughs> still said it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just, the, I know. we need people, un how does this unite people? What is uniting about this? There's nothing uniting about it. Right. He is all so about, what, he's all about the race wars. He wants, he wants there to be division between white people and black people. That's, that's his thing. That's how he makes money. That's what he does. That is his career. He has he has no vested interest in unity, none, no interest in it. Look, I'm being careful what I say because they have a very unflattering picture of me on the Final Call newspaper, which he owns. Are there that are, they published a few years ago? Are there flattering pictures of you? I remember my wife was like, "You do realize that you are like on a list somewhere." Um, you're on, they were I've very got, unhappy I've, about a report that I, I did. I've got a list, and you're on it too. I think a lot of people have a list. You're on a, you're on a lot of people's lists. Probably. They all have unflattering pictures of you because those are the ones I mean, most who easily doesn't found. Have an unflattering picture of me. <laughs> okay, you so... have the unshowered photos of me on <laughs> taping the show. You do look good in uh, as Hercules, though. That was a good. That was a flattering <laughs> picture. All right, let's uh, let's do this. Let's uh, Caitlin uh, help me out here. Awkward transition. Now. Uh, the other thing we want to talk about that's a little bit outrageous, and I don't know if this is, we're not, we don't have a scheduled outrage of the week, so this is about as close as it gets. The War on Christmas, which, uh, oh, who's the guy? Uh, John Gibson. He's the one who, who started this, and was, this was his big moneymaker. But it's been a, like a continual theme. So the War on Christmas has actually started this summer. Billy, tell us what's, <laughs> how does the War on Christmas start in August? Would you please? Tell us what's going on here. Well, every year, every year I joke about this. Um, and and, and listen, this year I'm laughing because we are in, usually it's like, oh, it's one year it was October, right. the next year it was September. Right. But here we are in August but, but and it we're makes, having this. But it makes sense because, you know, if you go to Costco, if you go to Costco and Walmart, there's Christmas stuff creeping out on the shelves in mid-late August. I saw it last <laughs> week. There was so a Christmas wreath. So August, oh sure, yeah. Early. So I mean, if we're gonna have the Christmas season start early, War on Christmas has to start early, right? Look, I love I love this story, and basically what you have going on is you. Now this is different because usually you put a nativity out only at Christmas time, but you right. have a city in New Mexico, and this particular city, the city of Belen, New Mexico has a nativity scene out all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, since 1992. And it's in the middle of a park. And the reason they have this nativity scene is because Belen actually means, the meaning of the word, and I'm not sure in what language this is in, but the meaning of the word is Bethlehem. Okay. And so the town has this history, right? Sure. And so it translates to Bethlehem. And 275 years, the city has been around, and it's had a rich 
history after being found in 1740 of, ha- of having nativities, of having the presence of this. So the town looks at it as like a piece of art, as, right. as a historical associated piece of art. Now, the Freedom From Religion Foundation comes in, demands its removal, yeah. and, in you know, a lot of these towns... Pound, buckle, pound sand, Freedom From Religion peeps. Right, well, okay. that's what the and mayor I, is telling me. And, and I know you want to tell us more of the story, and I want you to, but the word Bethlehem, okay, the name of the town Bethlehem, there's only one thing in the history of mankind associated with Bethlehem, for the most part. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are locals who say, no, I associate this with it. But, I mean, as far as the world goes, Bethlehem, Bethlehem has one characteristic, and that's the birthplace of little baby Jesus. Oh, I thought you were going to say goat's milk. <laughs> Maybe goat's milk. That's a close second. Um, but little no, baby Jesus, I mean, Je- that's I mean, the point, though. Right, you think, but you, you, you hear the word Bethlehem, you immediately think little baby Jesus, whether you are Christian or not, atheist, God-loved, God-fearing, whatever, it doesn't matter. Everybody with any sense of history at all, here's the word Bethlehem, they think baby Jesus. Now, any town that's named Bethlehem, what's the only, there's only, <laughs> it's named after that town. So why wouldn't you have a giant? I mean, it does. I not wouldn't. You, why wouldn't you have? But it may, would make sense if a town wanted to have a you know a giant nativity as part of like we're named Bethlehem. Bethlehem is known for this piece of history. This isn't. If you look at it, it's not a religious piece. It is a picture of history. But like. My... What makes me crazy about religion in the public square is that I know we have to be careful and there are some legitimate grievances, but like if the majority of a country votes for a president, then why can't the majority of a community vote to have a symbol that it represents it? I don't, I just don't understand why this one issue is the one that, oh no, 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 democracy doesn't matter. Doesn't matter on this one. All that matters. Now look. I think it's extremely obnoxious that really what atheists want is if they can't get rid of these nativities, and I say I should say atheist activists, most atheists don't care, but the atheist right. activists want to then have their own symbol, which is usually an offensive, anti-Christmas, ridiculous, ugly, I stupid agree. banner yes. that they post next to the nativity, like in my wife's like hometown. You're an idiot, that kind of right. banners. Well, but I just, to me, it's just, this is so pointless, and it's such an attack, and it's so nasty. Who cares about it? An activity right. is that offensive to you that you are raising money to remove it? I mean, it just right. it makes me crazy. But in this case, I mean, look, they could they could argue this is different because it's staying there all year long. They can have a fight about that if they want. But what Mayor Jara Cordova <laughs> is saying is basically he doesn't care. In fact, he went on. I, I interviewed him through email uh, today, and he went he went on a, a little bit of a tirade, which I thought was fascinating. He said. The Freedom From Religion Foundation's tactics tactics are designed to create conflict and division in communities across America. They stir up controversy where there had been none before for their own publicity and fundraising. Exactly. And and then he said, I don't understand why anyone would want to belong to such a devious group. I'm <laughs> great. <laughs> um, and then he talked about their bullying. So but when he said devious group, I la- I'm laughing to myself. And I'm like, that is pretty fierce. Right. And the nativity scenes that you see at Christmas time definitely have a religious connotation to them, right? I mean, because they're coming out at that particular season, which is a very important religious time for a lot of people. But the one in Beth, and so freedom from religion can have that fight if they want or not. I think it's a ridiculous fight. I think towns ought to be able to have uh, nativity scenes if they want to. The one in Bethlehem, though, it's called, or in Belen, it's named, it's, it's the name of the town that Jesus was born in. That's what, that's, it is a, so it makes as much sense to protest that as it would if they had, you know, if uh, 
if, if, if a town that had somebody, somebody famous from it was born there. So if you go to, a, what, what town was Lincoln born in? Do you remember? I don't it's remember. somewhere in Illinois because I've been there. Okay, so the city where Abe Lincoln was born. If they had, you know, a a picture or a sculpture of 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 Abraham Lincoln in the city he was born in, because it's a historical figure. This is a historical event, and this town is named after the town where this historical event happened. So they have a replica of the historical event to point out this is this is what we're named after, and it'd be the same thing. Or this is what we're known for. This is what the name of this town is known for. So any other town, I, if you've got something that's just a picture of a historical event, I don't understand what the problem is. That is not a religious thing. That is a picture of a historic event. Well, he seems more than prepared for them to go to court. I hope he and does. he just seems more than him. prepared to defend himself. Um, and I think, you know, look, I don't know. that Sometimes the Freedom from Religion Foundation will just give up. They're kind of like, all right, we're not going to do it. Other times they'll push it and oh, they'll yeah. win because they'll bankrupt a town. Right. you got to pay all the legal fees and everything. Um, right. Now, a lot of times what happens, and this might be this, the, the rub here, is that you have to create an open space that has that allows for other religious symbols as well. And I don't know, like, for instance, even the prayer case, which was a big win for, for Christians and other groups that wanted to pray at government meetings. But that also opened up the fact that, you know, any of these local governments also have to allow atheists to have a prayer, right? So you end up with those atheist banners. There, it may very well be that this can stay, uh, but that atheists have to be allowed to have their own representative banner or symbol there. Right. All right. So uh, we need to take a break here in a minute, but I want to tease a couple of things. One, we got a, we have an interview coming up that I want you to tease in just a second, and then we'll take a break and we'll come back into the interview. And the other thing is we have another great freedom from religion story coming up that's going to be at the, at the last break of the show, and we'll talk about that. So um, stick with us. We'll be right back. Oh, just a minute. We'll be right back after. Do you want to tease this interview now? Because I'm, I'm oh being so gosh. professional. Honestly, you, you have aged, <laughs> you know, okay, and it's fine. affecting Okay, the fine. Show. You know what? Shut up. The church boys. Man, I hate these guys. So we did a very intriguing. I love I love saying that we're intriguing and interesting and fascinating because we're not. Uh, but we did a great interview. I actually do think it's a great interview. With I love Jeff. that. What, what I love that? that you say it about yourself. Because yeah, I mean I'm so amazing and I you did this are, great interview. Well, yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, because I was the only one who did yeah, this interview I was, because I was you were sleeping sleeping off your age. No, but, I was um, actually at football. I think you. Yeah. Well, this was like one of those last minute interviews that yeah. I thought was really great, and it's it was the, the Deaf Bible Society, which I think you know. I, I want to just say this. I think a lot of people, when there's a crisis like the like what's going on with ISIS, you don't think about the vulnerable groups of people who. Did you say the crisis, um, the crisis with ISIS? Is that what you just said? The crisis with ISIS. Okay. You All don't right. think about the groups of people though that are at an even bigger disadvantage, and in this case, that would be. Um, <laughs> You know, people who are deaf, that's one group. There are lots of other groups, children, obviously. Um, but the Deaf Bible Society... <laughs> Why are you laughing? I can't. It's totally inappropriate. Why are you laughing? I'll tell you break. You need to edit this out. Okay, we're not editing it out. Okay, go ahead. There's one other thing that you might need to edit out when I said earlier, die on, on air. And <laughs> I thought you... about yesterday. Um, oh no! Yeah, I know. I was thinking that was like I'm the not first cutting two this. We're not cutting we, this. This is we have to cut this. This is radio gold, Jerry. It's gold, Jerry. It's, it's gold. Not, well, why are you laughing? 
I can't even get anything done here without you laughing. Go ahead. You're inappropriate. Anyway, there's nothing funny about what we're about to no, talk about. It's not. It's a great story. Oh my god! You're when you get to hell. Let me know the color of the curtains, Chris. Oh, it's um, like, it's like I'm sprinting there. Are you sprinting there? All right. Anyway, um, we don't really think about those vulnerable groups, and so one of those groups again is is the deaf. And I think. Are you there? Oh no, I've lost. Obviously, a bigger need for us hey, to be aware of some of those other finer elements, and basically, what? Okay. Are you there? Yeah, the, the Skype just crapped out for a second. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm so sure you, you said, crapped out. We're talking about pen. no, you're talking about the fire, the the fire? vulnerable groups. Vulnerable groups we don't think about. So let me be serious. Here. So you're talking this about vulnerable groups mess. we don't think about. So yeah, we're doing our hot mess show here. Go ahead. We, so, we interviewed J.R. Bucklew, who's the president of the Deaf Bible Society, and he talked to us about really some of the things that are going on and that have been going on and that the Islamic State has been trying to get people who are deaf into the fold and trying to recruit them with false promises. And he shared with us his organization's reaction to that. So I'm not going to spill the beans on that. It's really interesting, really worth listening to. Roll it! It's Billy Hollowell here for The Church Boys, and I have on the line a very special guest today. It's J.R. Bucklew. He's the president of the Deaf Bible Society. How are you doing today, J.R.? Doing good. How are you, Billy? I'm good. I'm good. Well, I'm really glad that you came on the show. I think we're going to talk about some really interesting things here. But just before we start, I would love for you to just give the listeners a little bit of information on what you guys do at the Deaf Bible Society, what your work encompasses, just so um, they can get a little idea of what uh, you guys work on. Absolutely. So um, somewhat, our name kind of says it all. You know, we are an organization that focuses on sign languages and the deaf community, more specifically the Bible, through way of translation and providing access to it. In society, we work in partnership with other sign language translation organizations, missions, agencies, um, distribution companies to say, how do we do this better? How do we do it more effectively and more efficiently? Uh, we, we come alongside sign language Bible translation organizations to say, we believe that not only is it, is it a missions or a theological view that we want every person to have the Bible, but we truly believe it's a human rights issue. With over 400 sign languages in the world, and many deaf people, even those that are literate, the 5 to 10% in the world that are literate, still those texts, those spoken languages are second languages to them. That It's a human rights issue because we believe every person has access, has the right to access scripture and their language so that they can understand what it's saying and so that they can make the decision rather than you or I sitting on stage or off stage or somewhere else saying they need it or they don't need it and teaching them our view of what it says. And so we want to ensure that every deaf person has true and free access to Bible content in their sign language and through a medium in which they can use it well. Yeah, and I don't, it's, it's interesting, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize how many different forms of sign language there are and also... The other piece of this that we'll get into is, you know, when a crisis happens, like when when ISIS comes in or there's some horrific event or group like that, you don't always think about some of the more vulnerable populations and the populations that maybe aren't able to gain access to information. And, you know, one of the things about your story and what you're working on that caught my eye 
was that very issue of having a population of people who are at an even greater, I mean, everybody who's under the throes of ISIS is, is in danger, but, but, you know, the, the deaf community being at, a, at an even um, bigger disadvantage, uh, it, it really just struck me as something I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really thought about before. So tell me a little bit about your project to bring the Bible and Jesus to the deaf in the Middle East. Uh, just take me through that a little bit, what you guys are doing. Like I said, we're we're a global organization, and there there's not any one particular region that we feel has precedence over another, and so we want to see it available in every region and every sign language in the world. However, recently, in the past months, like you mentioned with the ISIS recruitment video that had gone out, um, we're not here necessarily saying there's something we have to combat, but what we see in that is what we see all over the world, whether it's Africa and there's the the old-time village rumor and thought process of if you have AIDS and HIV and you want to get rid of that, you have sex with a deaf child. Therefore, the deaf child is told over and over and over again, your sole purpose is to rid people of AIDS and HIV. That's why you're deaf. That's the destiny that you have. And they never have access to truth. They can never find out what their purpose, what destiny, or what hope is in store for them. And so now we go to the Middle East and we see, well, you've got a regime that's there, that's teaching their own ideology, their own philosophy, and you have the deaf community at large where there's little to no access to not just Bible content in any Middle Eastern Sign Language, but hardly anything in Middle Eastern Sign Languages. You have some news outlets like Al Jazeera and others who will provide an interpreter in the screen, but news from the field, deaf people, are saying, we have no idea what that is. It's sort of a state sign language. And so we have no true access to information or content. And now, all of a sudden, you have a video that spread through the community saying, hey, come join our team. We're, we provide hope for you. We provide jobs for you. We provide empowerment for you. And the deaf are saying, you know what? We, we've seen a lot of bad stuff. But this is the only thing that I've seen on video that I can identify with in language, that I truly understand what they're saying. Maybe they really want to empower us. Maybe there really is hope there. But we know that that's a false hope. That's false empowerment. It's false information. But what do the deaf in the Middle East have to gauge that with? They right. have nothing. Right. And so we've said what we need to do, because in order to get to Bible translation, you have to have a, a team of local deaf believers. Well, how do you do that without tools to engage local deaf people with to get to that step? So we need to create some evangelistic tools, resources. So this two-hour film that walks a deaf community from a perspective of one of the Gospels through the life of Christ. It's introduction. It's saying, you know what? There's other hope. There's better hope that's not only present hope, but eternal hope. Can I stop you for one second because I want to and I want to go into the video and I want to dive into that when when this video and I think it was earlier this year that this video came out from the Islamic State and what always strikes me and I think the really disturbing thing about the Islamic State in general is that they are, they're very smart I mean they're not this is not some group of idiots walking I mean they know what they're doing and they're strategically going after people and and this video was an example of that how did you guys how did you come to find that video how did it come to your attention. Oh, it came across my Facebook feed being shared by other deaf friends saying, hey, look, there's a video going around. The thing that people don't realize is, as a hearing person, 
is they're not aware really of the deaf community at large. They're not aware that there's over 400 sign languages. They're not educated on the literacy among the deaf people. They're not, they're not thinking about the deaf in their community or how many dialects of American sign language are there or the fact that my accent in signing is very different from my friends that live out on the West Coast in sign language and how connected that deaf community is internationally. You have a video that's released through Facebook, which is where we first saw this video present before it made any media, was on Facebook shared by a deaf group page out of North Africa, and is that deaf people are connected. When someone shares a video out of Europe, they're wanting feedback and comments from their, their deaf friends in the West, in the U.S., who want comments and feedback from their deaf friends in the Americas, who are asking their deaf colleagues back in the Middle East to give feedback on the signing, the linguistics, and even to say, what are you seeing about this in your area? So deaf people are very connected. So we first became aware that this was happening through social media, through Facebook, before it ever made mainstream news outlets. And, you know, what was your your first internal reaction to it when you read about it and, and saw it? What were you thinking? I was I was disturbed at first, simply because I know that the deaf in the Middle East and the deaf globally at large have little to no access to to truth in their heart languages. And the fact that the information that you and I have about what's going on in the Middle East and other, re- other regions of the world, the deaf communities in the grassroots level probably don't have the same information. They're not hearing the same stories. They don't hear the rumors in the market. And so the information they received from the only video that provided true access to content information was very different from what we know is happening in the Middle East. And so it was disturbing because I see a community, I see a group that is taking advantage of the weak who know they have no information or context to say, we're going to give you all these things, which is a false hope. But we find false hope not only in that message by ISIS, but we find false hope through projects in Africa of um, uh, animism worshiping, uh, worshiping creation over the creator. We see that in Asia of idols. We see that all over where death have very little access to any real information or content in order to make, to make intelligent decisions. And so I see this and I say, you know, this is, this is, that was the kick in the pants we needed to say, we really need to work harder, bring organizations together to provide information, true information, to true hope for the deaf in the Middle East. And, you know, after seeing it, and it sort of serves as this catalyst based on everything you know about the Middle East for you guys to say, we need, we need to do something to sort of help counter this. Now, Tell me a little bit more. You started getting into the details about what this will look like, this video. Um, how did you put this together? How are you putting it together? When does it release? And I know that I know there's certain sensitivities around this in terms of um, the person who appears in it, which countries it will be released to, and all of that, because obviously some of this um, can become very dangerous if not done the right way. So what can you tell us about the video itself? What we have done is we identified a sign language in a deaf community within the Middle East, probably one of the larger sign languages in the area, who are also the most difficult to engage with. And we started to put pieces together and say, okay, what are the steps we need to take to protect this initial signer? 
we were able to find an initial signer who is a refugee and has recently relocated to the U.S. So there is a way to protect this person. However, we're starting to explore and say, if we're going to spread into the other 20 or so Middle Eastern sign languages, it's not always going to play out this way. So even as we're developing this video, which walks people through the life of Christ and gives them another point of information access, we're saying, how would we then protect signers that are in countries in the Middle East? Whether that's makeup and prosthetics, we're working with some new technologies that might be able to help that with CGI and animation. And we're saying, how can we better protect the person on video at the same time, giving the most natural signing, the most natural communication for the deaf viewing audience to access this content? So what we did was we were able to find the initial signer. We did a draft of the video, broke down the script and then walk them through it. We were able to do some community testing, so engage indigenous deaf people who use the sign language on a day-to-day -day basis in a more secure location in the Middle East and say, give us feedback. Is the communication natural? Do you understand what's going on in the video? And I have to tell you, even in, when engaging deaf Islamic leaders who normally would not agree with a Bible project, the feedback was, wow, We've never even had general information in our own sign language. And now we, I mean, we don't necessarily know if we agree with that, but I've never heard that story before. I was always told it was this, or that's really good. We don't, we don't have movies in our sign language. I really like this. Can we take this back with us and share it with our people? Because I know they'll be interested in it. That's what excites us about this. We hope that we'll be able to finish the final draft and begin intentional distribution through satellite, micro SD, DVD, all of the above by end of year or beginning of next year. Are you, I mean, do you have nervousness about this based on, you know, where you'll be doing this? Are there fears, you know, just safety fears or anything like that moving forward when this does release? I mean, how do you, how do you sort of, it's, and you've told me a little bit, but how do you, how do you navigate through all of that and, and, and then also anticipate what could happen once this starts going out to people? There is, there is sensitivity and security issues, and there are a lot of details that we try to work out. The, the benefit of having a resource where the signers are protected that's there to be accessed rather than someone in-country distributing what we might consider proselytizing, is that we're, pro we're providing an access point for deaf people to view content and information. And so the security of people in country, it's really going to be the same as what we see among any gospel movement in the world, hearing or deaf. Uh, the world is hostile towards the gospel. The gospel preaches a different message. Scripture teaches a different message than what society likes or is used to. And so there's no fear in doing the new project because it's a new project or doing it in sign languages because of whatever video has been on social media. But there's fear just because, I mean, nations in the Middle East, in Asia, in Africa that are hostile towards the gospel are hostile towards it, whether it's us putting it out in sign language or it's a hearing organization putting it out in audio or Wycliffe putting out a Bible translation. It's the message that it presents. And so in some ways we've said we can't avoid any sort of persecution that would come. I mean, that's scripture itself. All who desire to follow Christ will be persecuted. But how do we take extra measures to just secure the people in the project 
So someone doesn't pick up a video and say, oh, look, I know exactly who that person is. We're going to get them. And in the end, in the deaf community, in other countries, in India and in East Africa, we've seen when the deaf have been provided access to this content, it does something in the community unlike anything else. Because now they have access to information, information that they can retain, memorize, retell, unlike anything else they've been taught. So then they're said, oh, our purpose is not to rid people of HIV-AIDS. Our purpose is not to serve a radical regime. Our purpose is not to be the dogs of the caste system. Our purpose is totally different. Why? Because we see it in this content. We have access to this information. And then we see community development. We see deaf people pull together. We see them create other resources. We see the language develop. And we even begin to see nations say, wow, there must be something to the sign language thing. We need to create educational material in the local sign languages. So we're, we're, there, there's nervousness, but there's sort of an excitement because then all of a sudden you have a community that says, I don't know that that message in the video that we saw was true because we're receiving information over here that we can understand that has a much longer uh, longer standing reputation than anything else we've ever seen and deaf people they they eat it up i mean we i have friends that that, that are probably more bold than me and their their nations than i would be that are saying we never had access to any information now that we have access to this, why would we be quiet? Why would we be silent? We're going to go share it with all of our deaf friends so that they, too, have access to the information. Um, and, you know, have you been able to hear anything? After you saw this video, do you know anything about, and I know it's, it's so hard to get information about what's going on in the Middle East, but about how the deaf community has fared at the hands of the Islamic State? Have you heard? Do you know anything? Or is that sort of information that really isn't out there. That sort of information really isn't out there. I mean, from conversations that we had uh, with with deaf colleagues from multiple Middle Eastern countries, uh, again, the the recruitment videos, other information that's been put out has only been made available to deaf people that have access to technology that gives them access to social media. Um, so the majority of the deaf community don't have that. And so there's just a fear because of what's going on in the Middle East. There's a fear that's quite different from what you or I would have since we do have context to the things that we're seeing, that they're seeing these things without context. They're seeing these things without having any information of who is who and what is what. It's just we see this happening here. People's lives are being disrupted. Things are changing. Countries are at war. There, there, there's rebellious parties here in this nation and this nation. So there's no context to any of it. So we're not seeing a huge movement of deaf people that are that are uh, choosing to act out or do something because of anything that is put out. But what it has said is that this community becomes a target to be preyed upon because they don't have as much access to information. And so that was really the motivator to say. We really do need to ensure that the deaf have true access in ways that they can understand it. Absolutely, absolutely. And my last question for you is just, you know, what can people do if they want to be involved in helping uh, in this project, if they want to, you know, donate, what, where can they go and what can they do? 
when 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 choosing any new location or choosing a community like the deaf in the Middle East, we're saying that there are things that are going to have to be done differently. Ways to provide access to information has to be different from what we're doing here in the West. We need new content. We need new sign languages. We need new Bible translation projects. And so definitely go to DeafBibleSociety.com, support us through prayer. There's ways that you can give financially because in order to, to provide hope and to change lives for the better, we have to have the resources to do that. And those that would partner with us in doing that, we, we look forward to, to the changes that are to come for the deaf in the Middle East. Well, listen, we, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today, and I hope that we can reconnect once the video is, is live and, and chat about that again. I really do appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, Billy. We appreciate it as well. All right. Have a good one. And now, back to the church, boys. They're a real pain in my Thank you, Satan. Now, we have a very special feature this week. Normally, uh, at, at this time or sometime during the show, we would have Billy Hallowell's Outrage of the Week. We're not doing that this week. This week, we're doing Billy Hallowell's Non-Outrage of the Week. Look, Billy. everybody and their mother is pissed off with the Freedom from Religion Foundation. This is a this great story. Clearly. I love it. <laughs> and this was earlier in the week, but this is a Florida sheriff. And let me just set this up for you. We've done a bunch of stories in the blaze about In God We Trust, the bumper sticker right. that a lot of um, you know localities, a lot of counties are putting on their police patrol vehicles. And it's just a simple sticker. It says In God We Trust. It's the national motto. Now, the Freedom from Religion Foundation has systematically sent letters to all of those uh, places, all those, I guess, sheriffs usually are the ones who are receiving those letters, telling them this is not constitutional, remove them immediately, get rid of these stickers. And one Florida sheriff was not standing for it. Not and happening. this particular this particular sheriff, Walton County Sheriff Michael Adkinson, fired back a letter to the Freedom from Religion Foundation, basically delivering a history lesson and Don't telling them there's in. no way they're complying, there's no way they're removing them. And in fact, they have more stickers now um, to put on more of their cars. <laughs> it's fantastic. Now, in credit to the Freedom from Religion Foundation, um, they always give me really good quotes, and they spoke to me about this, and, you know, they're seeing this as an opportunity to possibly get a really good lawsuit. Finding a cop, let's say, and they do claim there is an unnamed cop who's an atheist who's driving around one of these patrol vehicles and who doesn't want to have that message on the car as an atheist. If they can get this to court, they've repeatedly lost. They've challenged in God we right. trust on currency. They've challenged the motto. They repeatedly have lost in court. So they're hoping that this is a new way in. Um, and they were very open about that in the interview I did with them, saying that you know they, if they can find the right plaintiff, this could be their way to topple in God we trust. Yeah, but it's, it's the sheriff's response. It's his attitude that comes across. And Can I read part of well, it? Well, the, the beginning, I, I, I love his opening line is, thank you for your correspondence. But you got you to read the part that's, the, and the best line is about what they need to, if, if you want this, then you need to get this or you need to get this. But go ahead, you read it. It's great. Well, basically, let me summarize that part. He basically said, if you want this gone, get a judge's order or a new sheriff. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's great. He, <laughs> that's great. Um, he also said, you are obviously unaware that in God We Trust is the state motto of the state of Florida and it has been since 1886. That's a Additionally, long time. it is the motto of the United States. 
<laughs> apparently the country you, you live in. Apparently you, apparently you didn't know that. <laughs> um, I know that like the tone is just, and it's funny. So I called the sheriff's office cause he had written this letter in early August and the sheriff's office like doubled down on this hardcore saying, um, you know, we, in fact, not only are we not doubling down, we're defending the sheriff. Our entire staff is, and somebody donated in God would trust stickers to us. And now right. we're handing them out to everybody who wants them. Right. Well, it's, <laughs> so if you read more of his, his letters as additionally, it's the model of the United States. I'd point out also that the motto is inside the badge that has been on the side of our vehicle since the in, inception of marked patrol cars. Like they have had in God we trust on their cars from the very beginning. Anyway, the, the, this different bumper sticker is, is newish, but they've had in God we trust on the cars all along. He says, right. And which then, is, which is interesting. And I'm sure look, the Freedom from Religion Foundation is based in Madison, Wisconsin. They, I highly doubt they know what was on a car yeah, yeah. in, you know, right. Florida. And what was interesting is in the interview, um, Dan Barker, who's the co-president over at the Freedom from Religion Foundation, your friend, he said that they couldn't really do anything about this because they don't have a plaintiff there. So right. I'm wondering how they, and I didn't ask him this, but how they collect, they must have just collected all the counties and sent letters out, but they really do need a plaintiff to launch a case. So they may not be able to do anything here. If nobody comes forward and says, we're offended by this in that community, in that county, then nothing will be done probably, which is kind of another interesting element of the story. Yeah, I do love his, his out on, we're not using taxpayer money. You want to sue us for using taxpayer money? You know, go ahead, go ahead and try. Because the fact is, he says, uh, as far as the use of taxpayer money, I'm very proud to say that although it was my intention to pay for them personally and that numerous sheriff's office members wanted to contribute, a local business has asked to provide them. I will not debate the merit of your understanding of constitutional <laughs> law in regard to this matter. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's great. I'm telling you, <clears throat> and can People, I also just add, if we stand. go back to the other story before we conclude here, and I'm done with your 40-year-old behind for the day or for the week, um, the, Me the New Mexico story about the nativity, that mayor responded in his interview with me, and he said, you know, while he's open to discussing all these options, he will, quote, not erase or change historical facts about our little New Mexico city simply because a group out in Wisconsin wants us to. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> It's time people take some stands on some things they believe in. And this is a good example of it. This is one little thing you can do. You just say, you know what? Anyway, it's good. I'm, I'm very happy that they're doing this. And it makes me smile. It makes me laugh, actually. The, and, and the Freedom for Religion people are like, I don't, how do we respond to this? I, I would imagine. No, and I so. have to say, they're very nice. You know, I, I have a really good conversation back and forth with Dan Barker. And, and, his, know, and, his, lo knows. and his lovely wife, right? Well... <laughs> Annie Laura Gaylor and I have some issues, but but in fact, she has approached me. And I think I've told you the story before. Very angry told, about our readers and our commenters. Air? Have you told it on air? I well, no, but I'll tell it. Can so you, I, mean, I it's, um, it's not, you're not betraying your confidence telling this on air, right? No, well, no, because she hates me. But okay. well, I mean, one time, one I I won't go into that into that particular story. But I used to call the Freedom from Religion Foundation and ask for her, and they would say, "We do not <laughs> issue comments to the Blaze." Um, <laughs> now, Dan and I were actually on HuffPo Live together okay. last year, and we, of course, they don't tell me that beforehand, and then they're like, "And here's Billy Hollow from the Blaze and Dan Barker from you know." But we had a great debate, and in fact, after we emailed, and and so. When I call, he takes my questions, and you know we always are fair to them in our coverage. Yeah. I and I, he knows where I stand on these things. I'm yeah. very open about where I stand on it, and um, and in fact, I think that's a testament to 
the ability to be able to cover stories fairly yeah. and still have perspective That's, because we all yeah. have that perspective. Right. You're, you're, you're a good journalist. You can say, listen, this is where I stand, but I can still, you know, you can know where I stand and I can still be a fair journalist. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And so, and that's why he takes our calls. Yeah. I think there was a miscommunication with Annie Laurie Gaylor um, early on, but, uh, <laughs> but excuse me, we, which we will share. Um, anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I have nothing else to say except for what a wonderful week. I'm glad you've uh, become an AARP member yes. and I'm excited for what that means for your family, the extra benefits, the dental, oh, um, funny. That's All great. the other things you're entitled to now yeah. as an elder. I sure hope person. you enjoy that. I sure, you know, we're recording this on Thursday because Billy has to make a trip tomorrow because he's going to Birmingham. I really hope you enjoy that 4.30 a.m. taxi ride. <laughs> it's actually 4.15. 4.15. Couldn't <laughs> happen to a nicer person as far as nope, I'm concerned. Couldn't. couldn't. Okay. Any messages or any advice for the peeps out there? Read your Hadith. God, you're so weird. And the blaze. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. This oh, is the Blaze right, Radio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you know, why don't we try this one? <laughs> you are really old. I know. Church Bowl.